0: This morning, turn with me here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 26. Now, you don't have to worry if you're a visitor today, you don't have to worry about me yelling at you or screaming at you. Uh, because quite frankly, I can't do that this morning. Get this thing out of my mouth so as not to choke in front of you. That would never not be good. Actually, one of our first services at Harvest Point still is kind of a joke. We were taking communion, and I choked on the Eucharist, um, which is not necessarily a good thing, so I almost went to meet the Lord I was worshiping that day. Uh, so I'm not going to do that today, but but you will have to bear with some uh, scratchiness in my voice here. Notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we've already read the Easter morning... Uh, events from John, and also as it's recounted in Acts, <clears throat> notice here what Paul has to say about this morning, this very special morning. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start reading with verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is expected to or sorry, accepted up to put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Bless now this reading of Your Word to our hearts. And Spirit, would You... Illuminate our minds this morning to understand what it is you want to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Today is a holy day. Even people who are not a part of the faith know that today is holy. Um, it's, it's, it's a special day. And within the church it is our most holy day. Uh, And quite frankly, because of this text here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul specifically bases Christianity, puts the onus of truth, so to speak, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all falls or succeeds on the resurrection. But why? Why such an odd word? I mean, most of us, that's not part of our normal vocabulary, is resurrection. I mean, you probably have gone months without saying that term, resurrection. It's just not something we typically talk about. It's not in our verbiage. And yet, for the Bible, it is the center of all of Christianity the rising again of the Son of God. It's not enough that He took on flesh, it's not enough that He died on the cross. But Paul says, the end of all of this is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection this morning of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, if you were to read the rest of chapter 15 that I did not read to you, you would see that Paul is saying to the Corinthians very plainly, which, by the way, they were probably like most of us. They were, they were Paul's problem children. Problem church, even. And he says to them, look, I delivered to you, verse 3, what was of first importance, what I also received, which is very simply that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He then appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, the rock, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Though some have fallen asleep. The resurrection for Paul, for the Bible, makes the difference in Christianity. And yet, isn't there a disconnect in your mind? I thought this was about bunnies. I mean, I thought this day was about Easter eggs. Maybe getting a little gift. It's kind of, you know, Easter gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Because quite frankly, it's not Christmas, right? You don't get the presents. The presents are reduced on Easter. You know, the kids come in and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Not in our faith, though. Easter is the main event. <laughs> you know, if we're doing the what um, what is they call it now WWE, maybe now I don't know. It used to be WWF when I watched it wrestling. The main event for wrestling was what you watched all the other stuff for. I mean, that's how they got the ratings was because they had the match between, you know, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. Stop it, Joe, Slim Jim, oh yeah, you know. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I can do that still with my raspy voice. He seemed to always have a cold, didn't he? Interesting, but nonetheless, that was the main event. You watched the other stuff to get to the main event. Today is the main event. Without today, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't get anything. That's what Paul's point is here in 15. He says, You don't get salvation, you don't get the forgiveness of sins, and at the end of it all, you don't have any hope. If we've believed in Jesus Christ and He has not risen from the dead, then there is zero hope. And yet there's a disconnect. We try to figure out, what well, what does resurrection have to do with it all? Anyway, I mean, I can understand needing my sins forgiven, yeah. But why does God need to rise from the dead? What's interesting you ask, even though you didn't. Um, from the earliest times that we have of recorded history and writing comes mythology. Maybe some of you have looked at mythology before. I'm a teacher of world religions, so I have to. And it's quite enjoyable sometimes to read the myths. Some of the oldest myths are from Egypt, Mesopotamia, from even the Canaanites. Really all the ites, his ites, You know, there's all kind of ites out there. All of those guys write. And when they write, they all have in their myths a dying and rising God, interestingly. So, in all the myths primarily from the civilizations we've been able to dig up they always have one of the gods who who dies in the winter really about the fall he starts passing away and then he rises again in the spring now if you can kind of understand this what we're talking about is the corn the corn god the wheat god the crop god which was always represented with fertility Uh, interestingly because well mother mothers are the ones who produce life we know that Uh, they're the ones who bear life and so that's why the earth has always been seen in the myths as a mother it has a womb because life comes from a womb except for in the bible where there is no womb in the beginning God created the heavens and earth he spoke it into existence he didn't sext it into existence yes I just made up that term But in the myths, the storm god is the one who fertilizes, just like what's happening now outside, the ground. So that you get a produce. Now that makes you think twice about going out into the rain today, I understand. But nonetheless, the sky and the earth have sex. Because sex is essential to the pagan mindset. Isn't it essential to our mindset too in America? You can't drive anywhere without seeing billboards that are well sexually explicit Jimmy seems to always be packed on 72 every time we go to Walmart our nation our world is obsessed with it and so the myths portray what is reality which is that yeah, that's that's what happens in nature but the crop god he dies and we got to weep him back and have a funeral and He'll come back in the spring, typically, if as long we do everything right. So you get you get interestingly what I call a, a tremor of the truth. So even the, as far back as you can go, people are talking about resurrection in the myths. He's going to come back, just like your dormant grass is maybe starting to turn green. Mine's not. I just have green weeds everywhere, but you know they, they die and come back. And so, from the earliest times, we have a concept of resurrection. Have you ever noticed in your movies that you watch, in the books that you read that, make, that really are considered epic, such things as, well, The Matrix, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, Christopher reminded me today, even Transformers. What is one of the key events in every single one of those stories? A resurrection. Gandalf comes back. <laughs> He's Gandalf the White. Harry Potter gets up. Aslan revives. He's back with more power to heal. Optimus Prime gets back up. And so, we too have this longing in us for resurrection. When we see the bad guy get defeated, we say to ourselves, surely the story isn't over. You know, we kind of push our display button on our player to see how much longer the movie has because we know it's not over when the good guy's down. I mean, this was the way it always went with G.I. Joe. Joe. You know, the good guy is going to triumph. My brother and I were fanatics of G.I. Joe. And I was always Cobra, interestingly. And so I always lost, except for once. One time it worked out to where I actually won, because Flack Viper was in a sniping position, and so I was able to get the upper hand. But that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> the good guy, we suppose, wins. When the good guy goes down, we don't really believe that he's not going to get up again. And today, this is is what we celebrate. The good guy goes down. The best guy goes down. God goes down. On a cross, naked, suffocating, beaten to where he doesn't even look like a man any longer, he's buried. He's dead. I mean, people you can't really question. uh, Some people say, well, he just swooned. Yeah, right. Do you know who killed him? It was the Romans. They were professionals at killing people. They'd been doing it for hundreds of years and would continue doing it for a couple more hundred years. It's laughable to think that he swooned. No. No, no. They were professionals at killing people. He died. He was buried in a tomb. This is not just a kid's story. This is not just some kind of fantasy. But rather, myth became fact. Notice what Paul says in verse 20 of 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now you could say, well, the other myths, the other stories... Uh, Christianity copied. Eh, It's just another one one of the many. Right? The problem is, eh, you can't find Middle Earth on a map. I've looked. It's not there. I I longed to visit certain parts of that, and it's not there. The Shire sounds like a nice place to go. You're not going to find it. The world that Aslan lives in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's not there. It's not on Mars, it's not on another planet, it's not there. In the myths, it's always happening out there. Never in time and space. But, with Jesus, the myth that we want, the longing within our hearts that we know we need, which is the good God to win, the good God to get back up, He becomes fact. He becomes reality in a little girl called Mary. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He gestates in her womb. He's fed like every single one of you were through a cord. He was born at a particular day. He had a birthday, which is what we celebrate during Christmas. He had a mother. And He had a father. And His true Father was the Heavenly Father because He existed before Abraham. Everything was created through Him and by Him and for Him. So wouldn't you expect it to be in the myths? I mean, if He created everything, if everything was created through Jesus... Then, what makes a story epic is when it connects itself to the greatest story ever told the myth that became fact, reality. He was born of Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's just what you recited moments ago in the Apostles' Creed. Two historical figures, one a woman and one a man. There's more evidence for Jesus Christ and His resurrection, historically speaking, than there is for Napoleon. Remember him? Well, I should do this. He's a little guy. And yet, we don't believe it. Oh, no. Surely not. Surely, Surely, surely this is... Too good to be true. We just kind of turn on our fantasy filter and say, No, you know what? All this good talk about Jesus, it makes us feel great. It makes us feel good. Just like when I finished watching Lord of the Rings, I feel great. There's friendship, there's love, there's self giving, there's sacrifice, there's resurrection. I say, What a great movie. All right, let's go back to the drudge of life. No. No. Today, everything changes. Today, there is a new beginning. Today, the fact of Jesus Christ and the fact of the empty tomb changes everything. If you want to be epic, connect yourself to the most epic story ever told. You too must die to yourself and rise anew in Jesus Christ. It's the only way to new life. You say, well, I still don't believe it. I would ask you just to look at what you do believe. I mean, we may have some in the room who believe in a mechanical world. A world that just operates on its own mechanics. You see it very scientifically. Everything is functionary. There's no mystery to life. There's no spiritual realm. Come on. It's 2013, dude. Get real. We're way past people who were way back 3,000, 6,000 years ago. We're well beyond them now. We know how the world operates and it's like a machine. And yet, there's no machine maker in your worldview. It's mechanical and yet there's no mechanic. I'd say there's probably a problem with that. Some of us live as if there's purpose in the world. It's why you put on clothes today. (laughs) Thank you. It's why you took a bath and dressed up quite nicely, I might say. And yet, at the end of the day, you say to yourself and try to convince yourself that really there is no purpose in life. You just kind of live life. Live it the best you can. And you know what? Everything will work out in the end. Maybe there's some today that want to believe. And yet they can't get past their own disbelief. So they believe in their disbelief. To the demise of their belief. <laughs> You've got to believe in something. Why not believe in God? He's the most obvious thing in all of the world. We have to be taught not to believe in God. It's why the world's religions, well, have always been around. And everyone truly has their own religion about God. Some said, say, well, we can't really know God. Well, I would say to them, you've already said a lot about God, then if you can't know about Him. You've said more than most about His nature. No, God has made Himself known. And yet, notice what we believe. We believe in things like truth being relative. Everybody just has their own truth. You just kind of make up your own truth, kind of construct your world, is what the philosophers tell us. And yet, to say that all truth is relative is not a relative truth. It's almost comical sometimes the things that we get ourselves caught into. We say, there is no absolute truth. Well, you believe that absolutely. You see, these are all tremors, shockwaves of the truth. We have bits and pieces of it all around us. Resurrection is in all our stories, all our myths. It's even in the longing of our own heart. We want to be transformed. We want to be like the butterfly who goes into the cocoon and emerges as something completely different, transformed. We want that. When we go into marriage, we want that. We want marriage to change us for the better. We want that when we have a family. It sobers us up to thinking, you know what? Life isn't just about me anymore. We want that transformation. That resurrection. We want to move from the gray in this world to the white. The brightness. The light. From darkness. From evil. To what is good and pure and bright. It's the longing... That we all have. Jesus says, You must have the faith of a little child. I've thought about that for a long time. Well, really, ever since I was a child, interestingly. We have grown cold. We have grown old because of sin. And now we just kind of scoff at our life, scoff at certain spiritual things. You know, when the when kid uh, like Reagan the other day said, well, look, we can't have the Easter egg hunt because it's raining. Let's just call Jesus and tell Him to stop it. We chuckle and blow that off as if it's not really a viable option. I mean, come on, Marshall. No one can really live their life with that kind of childlike faith. And I would say to you, the reason kids think we're boring is because we've lost the wonder of resurrection. We've grown old because of sin. Dead because of sin. And what's happened to us is we look at the world out there as plain, as boring, each day we wake up is just, well, just another day. You say, how you doing today? Just trying to make it, man. Is that the way resurrection life lives? No. 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 There's a longing in our hearts that is placed there by God. It will never be filled with anything else but God. Well, because God placed it there. And nothing else in this world is like God because God is not the world. That's a major shift, as a major dividing point with the myths. The myths, the gods, are the world. It is the rain that you hear. It is the ground that you walk upon. The gods are that. No, with God, He is not the world. He is high and lifted up. Which is a good thing. Because He can see around the corner of your life. He can see into the future of your life. He knows what direction you're to go. Because it's His direction. It's His way. Resurrection points us to what God did this Easter morning when He rose from the dead, when He conquered death, hell and the grave, and it points us to a future orientation. Now you've all probably heard someone say, well, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. No, you can't be too heavenly minded. It is our home. This is not our home. It's why in your life you get dissatisfied with the TV and say, why am I even flipping these channels? And you don't know. It's why when you're cruising Facebook you say, why am I living other people's lives? As you're scrolling. It's why this life can never satisfy you. Money, pleasure can never satisfy that one thing we need which is new life. We're meant to fly. And yet we're stuck on the ground because we don't believe it. Surely you can't do that. I'm saying, today, become like a child. Capture the wonder of God. Don't be cold. Don't be boring. God is the funnest person to ever live. He is true joy. He is life itself. As I shared with the kids here, we've become tangled up in sin. You cannot get out yourself. Because of Adam, we all got tangled up. And you know how it is to be tangled up. There's only one who can set you free. There's only one who can help you live how you know you're called to live. This is not some kind of self-help psychology. This is reality. The fact of Jesus' resurrection this morning means that I, you, your children your coworkers can have new life resurrection life resurrection hope some of us have stopped dreaming about our lives and have accepted where we've ended up stop you're not what your coworkers say you're not even what your family says you're who god says you are let him dream with you about what you can become in this life. He can do more than in five minutes than anybody else can do in a lifetime. Will you give God even five minutes today? You're going to have an opportunity to do that. Will you just give him five minutes? You say, I, I just I still just don't know about this whole I mean. It's kind of odd here. I mean, I've tried to connect some things for you, but maybe you still find it odd. Let me ask you something. You say to me, well, what if, what, what, what if this is all not true? <laughs> what, if, what if you just kind of make all this up in your mind, Marshall? Well, first of all, I'd say I'm not alone. There's also 2.2 other billion people in the world who, who believe this same thing. And all only that, all the cloud of witnesses that are around us today, if the heavens were peeled back, we would see the saints looking down upon us. Not the New Orleans saints. The saints of God. Cheering us on today. Saying, you know what's right for your life. You know that Jesus is right for your life. If you'll only stop serving the God of yourself. You say to me, but hey, what, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There's still risk involved. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is not so much a studying of religion. That's not what you're signing up for. You're meeting a person. Isn't that very different? I mean, people sign up for my class all the time not knowing what to expect. There's not much risk there in a class, though. So you can drop that. The problem is, we cannot drop Jesus Christ. You will meet Him. I, I didn't make that up. I didn't organize that meeting. You will meet Him because He is your Maker. There's no way to escape. It's kind of like the situation I put Jessica in when I got down on one knee and said, will you marry me? If she walked away and just said, you know, I need some more time here. Well, that's an answer. Not the answer I was looking for. If she ignored me and didn't say a word, you know what? I'm just going to ignore him. I like it didn't ever happen. That's an answer. I'm still on one knee. What are you doing with Jesus? He is the center, not only of Christianity, but of the whole world. Blaise Pascal, who was a chemist, philosopher, theologian. He said, well, what if we're wrong? You know, what if this whole thing about Jesus, what if this is all wrong? He said, okay, well, I mean, I've still lived a good moral life according to even Islam or other standards, Buddhist standards, whatever. I've still lived a good life according to the teachings of Jesus. You know, not much to lose with living a Christian life. But what if you're wrong? What if today Jesus is alive in this room? It's quite a bit to lose for yourself, for your children, for your coworkers and friends and family. This is bigger than you, this is bigger than me. What if you're wrong? It's called the wager argument because, well, if you're gambling, you want to take the first option, which is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, you can go and study it for yourself, and this is not an apologetic course this morning. I'm proclaiming to you the resurrection. He's alive. He's changed my heart. He's changed my life. He's helped me to love. He's helped me to forgive. I could never do those things on my own. Do you know him this morning? If he's down on one knee proposing to you, which he is, what is, what is your answer going to be? Is it going to be silence again after all these years? Are you just going to continue to act like He's not there? Are you going to reject Him? My prayer for you for weeks now has been that you'll embrace Him today. This is not an idea. This is a person we're dealing with. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, worked with His hands, had friends, had family, had a job, didn't make any money out of it. He was a wandering beggar for most parts, yet He did miracles. And He came to the end of His life, and because of public opinion, they murdered Him, even though nobody could find anything wrong with Him. Now, I know that you can't find anything wrong with Him today. What will you do? Will you murder Him? Or will you receive Him? Believe Him? Love Him? Here's the good news. Christ is risen. Christ has defeated death. There's no reason to fear in this life. Christ is the way. You don't have to go looking and studying and searching and no, Jesus himself is God's way. Will you believe that today? We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Rachel's going to come and I'm going to give you 5 minutes. Will you give God in time and space this morning? Five minutes. Maybe you've never even prayed to God for five minutes. If you don't know how to pray, I can meet you here. But praying is the most simple thing in the world. You just talk to God. Some of you know you're not right with God. Some of you... Know the goodness of God and yet you are living as if you don't. Repent. The message today for all of us is repent and believe in the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you do that today? Rachel, come and lead us. as.